grade if they wish to be dismissed to Children's Church, which you can find through the door over here by the piano. With the rest of you, open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 8. If you're new with us and your kid's a little nervous, you can go with them to Children's Church. Walk them there if you want. Isaiah chapter 8. It's on page 683 in your pew Bible. Isaiah chapter 8, page 683. As we continue our study in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8, page 683. And today we'll be looking at verses 19 and 20 in particular. It says in Isaiah uh, chapter 8, verse 19, When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land when they are... When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their God and their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You truly are enough. That Jesus, Your blood shed on the cross is enough for our salvation. And that Lord, without Your blood shed on the cross, there's nothing we can do to be saved. And so your blood is not only enough, it's absolutely essential, essential to our faith. And so, Jesus Christ, we come trusting that you are enough. We also thank you for your word, the Bible, which is enough. That there, it is enough to know who you are, God, and what it is you want from us. And so, Lord, we not only come trusting in Jesus this morning, we come trusting in the Bible. We come looking to find what you have to say to us in the Bible. We believe this is not just some ancient document this is not even some important religious book. We believe this is the very Word of God. And so whenever we open it, there's a sense of expectation, of excitement. We're excited to hear what you, the living God, are going to say to us through your living Word. And so as we come now to open up your Word, I just pray that you would speak. So what we need more than anything else in these days, what we always need is to hear the voice of God speaking and to obey it. And so, Lord, speak to us this morning. Uh, I don't know, uh, as I often say, I don't know all the different issues that people have brought here today. And uh, people have come, they're in the pews, Lord, and yet they may have all kinds of burdens on the inside, things they're worried about. But I pray, Lord, would you speak to each heart? So I know you, you know every heart, you know every situation. So Lord, be here, minister to your people, I pray. Lord, come with power through your word now, I pray. And touch your flock. This is your church, Lord. And I pray that you would minister to them and build them up in faith. And I ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. It's amazing when uh, we get in times of uh, difficulty or, or distress, pain, how easily we will look to all kinds of sources for guidance and hope. But when things are going bad, you know the old saying, clutching at straws. People really will clutch at anything just to figure out uh, how to make sense of life. Um, when I was growing up, there was a family that was close friends with our family, and they had a, a terrible tragedy. They, they had a three-year-old daughter who died of uh, meningitis. 
And I remember that, that whole episode and, and their family and just the, 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 uh, the wave of grief and pain that swept over that family. And it was in that time of, of incredible loss and agony that they began just reaching out for anything. And in particular, the mother uh, began reaching out into what we might call today like the New Age movement or even occultism. She began, you know, psychics, any book she could read, any sort of uh, thing she could grab onto that might give her guidance in this uh, realm. In fact, she even uh, at one point had a, a medium come to her house to try to contact the, the deceased child. And, and, you know, part of it is you just feel so bad. I mean, you're in that kind of pain. You want anything to get in touch with that, that child again. And, and so she, she was reaching out into all these sort of strange uh, things and strange areas of inquiry. And it, it happens. When we get in times of difficulty and stress, we become very vulnerable and susceptible to all kinds of spiritual guidance and influence. And it's in those times that God is calling us to trust Him and to seek Him specifically in His Word. And I think that's what this text is about today. If we look at Isaiah chapter 8, which is the passage I want to study with you, uh, if you're new with us, we're glad you're here. We've been studying through the book of Isaiah for several months and will be for several more months. But uh, this, this text was written in a time of uncertainty, fear, distress among the people of Judah. Uh, if you've been here the last couple Sundays, you know that the historic context of chapter 7, 8, and 9 was a, a specific uh, upheaval in the time of Judah from 734 B.C. to about 732 B.C. There was a war taking place. The, the people to the north of Judah were attacking. The uh, people from the southwest, the Philistines, were attacking. The people from the southeast, the Edomites, were attacking. And suddenly, Judah was completely surrounded by its neighbors and being assaulted on every side. And, and in that time of distress and fear, you know, what's going to happen? Are we going to be overrun? They, they had a choice to make. Would they trust God or not? And the temptation was to trust things other than God and to look for guidance and direction in sources other than in their God. And in fact, the thing that people were looking to was um, uh, supernatural occult practitioners. Look at verse 19. It says, When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? I, you, you all know what a medium is, right? Or a spiritist. It's a person who uh, claims, anyway, to have the ability to uh, communicate with either the dead or with spirits. And the idea is you go to that person and they contact... They're kind of the middleman. They, they communicate with the spirit realm and with the realm of the living and they try to, to connect the two. And, and I don't know, if you remember the movie Ghost? If you really want to date yourself, you know, go like this. Uh, with Whoopi Goldberg was a medium in that movie. She, she was a, a spiritist who sort of stood between the realm of the spiritual and the realm of the, this world. And, and what, basically what people do is they go and they ask questions. They want to find out secrets. They want to find out about concerns in their lives. And so the people of Judah were going to mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter. That's an interesting phrase. That, that probably uh, describes a little bit of of how they went about doing their practice. It was kind of this, you know, you know, making different weird voices and as if they were, you know, summoning the spirits to speak uh, through them. And so the people of God who worshiped the God of heaven were turning away from him and instead of trusting him, they were trusting in other people who could give them hopefully answers and directions in a difficult time in their nation's history. 
But of course, God is very clear. I mean, God is crystal clear about his opinions on uh, divination, sorcery, mediums. You know, there's some things in the Bible that are kind of fuzzy, tough to understand. People debate them. It's not one of those things. (laughs) This is very clear in the Bible. In fact, uh, take out your sermon notes for a minute. This insert in your bulletin. says Isaiah at the top. Just a few select texts. There at the top, Leviticus 19.26. Do not practice divination or sorcery. Okay, there it is. Uh, Look at two down, Leviticus 20.27. A man or a woman who is a medium or a spiritist among you must be put to death. You are to stone them. Their blood will be on their own heads. Wow. Or Deuteronomy 18, 9 to 13. Let's just look at that big quote there. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. So like I said, pretty clear where God stands on this whole issue. And it's, it's simple because it's, it's trusting in something else other than God. It's making an idol out of other potential supernatural forces and looking to them uh, for guidance. And so God says, hey people, why are you trusting in these mediums and spiritists? Why don't you trust in me? Now before we kind of go, oh yeah, yeah, those people back then, they were weird. They did look to weird things like that. Fortunately, we're, you know, we're enlightened people of the 21st century. Uh, look, you know, reality check, uh, people still are doing these things. People have never stopped doing these things. And even today in high-speed internet access, SUV driving, flip phone America, people are more and more uh, opening themselves to these kinds of things. In fact, there's a, a professor, her name's Elizabeth Hillstrom. She's a professor of psychology at Wheaton College, and she wrote an interesting book called Testing the Spirits, where she talks about what she calls this emerging uh, worldview that she describes as the new mysticism. She calls it the new mysticism, that there's a, a worldview emerging in American culture that, that really is unified around kind of an openness to all these sorts of things. If you look in the back of the sermon notes, in that big box, uh, kind of a lengthy quote, but just bear with it. She kind of describes some of the textures of this emerging worldview in American culture. She says, this developing perspective that she calls the new mysticism has several distinctive themes. It assumes that the spirit realm is real, including both the spiritual aspects of human nature and the existence of spiritual beings. Well, so does Christianity. It exalts human nature, emphasizing human worth and potential and affirming our power to control our own destiny. It anticipates hidden powers in the human psyche like clairvoyance, mental telepathy, and the ability to heal and to contact the realm of the spirits. Its notion of life after death is linked with universalism, the belief that everyone goes to heaven regardless of their beliefs, and sometimes with reincarnation. And finally, this new perspective minimizes the importance of rationality and objectivity and relies heavily on subjective inner experiences as sources of ultimate truth. You know people who think this way, don't you? Yeah, so do I. There are people who this is their worldview. And maybe they wouldn't belong to any particular religion. They wouldn't say they're religious, but they would say they were 
spiritual. That's the key phrase. And, and it's this sort of, in, in this umbrella, and it includes the New Age, but it's not just that. It's, there's occultism. There's sometimes just sort of a weird kind of spooky mysticism that doesn't really fit in any label. But, but you see this kind of emerging worldview that's taking place around us. It's saturated in our culture. It really is mainstreaming. You see it in movies like The Sixth Sense. It's kind of a, which is a really cool movie, by the way, very creepy. But I, I enjoyed the movie. But you know, I'm aware that there's this kind of openness to the spooky and the weird and the ghosts and the dead. Um, movies like uh, um, Butterfly Effect, this this one that came out recently. You know, where there's supernatural, there's things that are unexplainable. Uh, Gothica, or TV shows like um, X Files and Buffy, and um, you know, all, all these sort of strange shows where, where there's this openness to the the, the supernatural and the bizarre, charmed, and what's the other one? Sabrina, Teen Witch. Really, witchcraft is hip. I mean, let's be honest, it's hip today. Uh, and it's coming more and more mainstream. In fact, I'll give you a story about uh, mainstreaming. I, I was told this story by a Christian couple that I know, and they have a child who's in elementary school. And in fact, the child goes to elementary school in one of the towns here on the South Shore that will remain nameless. Public elementary school. And apparently in this public school, there was a uh, a kid who was really sick, a, a little girl who was very uh, gravely ill. And so, you know, the whole school was concerned about her. The whole school was trying to support her. And, and, and so what was happening was in the mornings, I, I don't know if it was the assistant principal, but one of the administrators in the office was coming over the loudspeakers and, you know, to talk to the kids about this and was leading them in a whole school-wide positive energy focus. It's public schools. And she was saying, all right, here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes. Imagine the child. Imagine this child being well and running around and healthy. And I want you to, we're just going to send out positive energy together to heal this child. And, you know, it was being led in the loudspeakers. Now, you know, I wonder if they'd give me a chance to lead everyone in a prayer in Jesus' name in the loudspeakers. You know, of course they wouldn't. But somehow it was going out. And so, of course, this, this Christian family, you know, went in and talked to the administrator and said, you know, we're... We're a little uncomfortable with this whole thing going on. And, you know, we, we understand it, it's motivated by the right source. You really are trying to help the kid. And we understand that, and that's good. But, you know, do you see that this is kind of a spiritual thing that you're doing? And, and this administrator just could not see it. It was like, you know, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. This isn't a religion. And he's like, yeah, but you're using supernatural means to heal somebody as a group. It's, it's spiritualism. And, and no matter, you know, what they said, this person couldn't understand it just could not grasp the fact that this was somehow uh, spiritual. And I think that's that, that mainstreaming of this new mysticism. The fact that the, the administrator couldn't see it shows that it, it's part of an overall worldview. Because we're typically blind to our worldviews as part of the way human beings are. It's hard to, to realize that we operate within a... Everyone operates in a conceptual framework. Everyone has a belief system. Everyone has a religion. Even a secular atheist has a worldview religious belief system, whether they want to call it that or not. And so this person had the same thing. And, and I guess I'm just saying that, that it's mainstream. It's, it's really feeding into our culture. Not everyone's into these things, but it's around. Uh, if you look on the back of the sermon notes, it says the current mysticism. Here's some examples of practices and things that go along with it. Uh, yoga and meditation, obviously very mainstream. Some people say, well, yoga, I mean, isn't that just relaxing and breathing and stretching? You know, I, I would just pastoral advice this is not in the Bible just pastoral advice I would strongly encourage Christians not to even mess with yoga I, I think it, you know you don't have to stick your finger very far into yoga before you're quickly into 
the realm of, of the supernatural and into the spiritual philosophy that stands behind it. That's just pastoral advice. Uh, psychics. You know, why are there so many psychics? Obviously, somebody's calling them. Otherwise, there wouldn't be all these people trying to make a living. Superstitions, lucky numbers. How do you pick your lottery numbers? Um, seances. Uh, that's medium, spirits, channeling. Horoscopes, astrology. You know, do you, how often do you read your horoscopes? You go, well, I read it regularly, but I don't really believe it. You go, well, why do you read it regularly? There's something to it. People, oh, what does it say today? I want to see. You know, and, and we kind of laugh a little bit, but kind of half serious. And this is this whole mysticism. Uh, tarot cards, palm reading, UFOs, uh, charms. By that I mean little amulets, bracelets, protect, you know, crystals, things to, that somehow give us some kind of spiritual benefit. Um, Wicca, magic, Ouija boards. Some people are into Reiki. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. If you haven't, don't worry. But uh, there's all kinds of weird stuff out there. And, and my, my point is, probably as I read this list, you're thinking of people who either do these things, you know people who do these things, you've dabbled in these things, and I just want to show you that this isn't so weird and foreign, what we're reading about here in Isaiah. In fact, the things that people are doing today that seem so new age are actually old age. There's stuff that have been taken out of the back of the fridge, op- you know, from the ancient world, open up the Tupperware, put it in the microwave, you know, sprinkle some new Americana on it, and voila, it's the new age. But it really isn't the new age, it's just old paganism and an occultism sort of wrapped and repackaged in American kind of guise. And, and when we're in times of difficulty and stress, when we're going through hard times, when you have lost a child or lost your job or lost your money or lost your spouse, you're just vulnerable. You're really vulnerable. All of us can get to that place. And we start you know, reaching out for anything we can grab onto. And it's in those times that God calls us back to Himself. God says, trust me, trust me. As He says in verse 19, should not a people inquire of their God? Should not a people look to God and say, God, what do you say I should do? How, should, how do you say I should respond to this particular dilemma in my life? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? We should seek God. So how does a people inquire of the Lord? How do we find out what God has to say to us? I know how to, to uh, inquire of the dead. You go to a medium and you say, talk to the dead for me. But how does a person inquire of God? How do you seek the Lord's will and guidance in a particular situation? And he tells us there in verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. The way we know what God has to say and what God thinks is through His Word, the Holy Bible. God has written it for us. Our God is so awesome. God is so amazing. He's so kind to us. He's so good to us. He's given us the Bible. Think about it. Uh, God speaks. He speaks. And He acts. He acts in history. The the God we worship is not like the, uh, the clockmaker, you know, who who makes the universe supposedly and winds it up and then just lets it run on its own while he goes off and does something else. The God we worship, he speaks. He speaks to people throughout history. Our God is active throughout human history, intervening and changing and shaping and guiding it. Our God is not only the great imminent God, he's the transcendent God, he's also imminent within creation, working among us. And not only has God spoken and acted, but this is the key, he has then caused his speech and his actions to be written down so that successive generations of his followers can know what he said and what he's done. 
which is an incredible thought. I mean, you know, this sounds like, yeah, very basic. I understand this, Jeremy. The Bible's God's word. No, but think about how cool that is. That God has caused his word and his actions to be written down through human prophets and human uh, servants so that we today can have this living record of who God is, what he has said, and what he has done. So that in times of crisis and stress, I come to that crossroads in my life. Will I trust God or will I disbelieve God and go in another direction? Will I seek God's word for my guidance or will I look to other sources for the answers to how I should live my life and deal with things in life? Who am I trusting, God's word or not? And we need to trust God's word. Let me just ask you, do you believe this is the living word of God? Fundamental question you have to wrestle with. I remember I was talking to a young man once who uh, was, was, he was a Christian, he was just wrestling with some um, things in his Christian life, some beliefs, and trying to figure it out. He was also thinking about going into ministry. So he's wrestling with that too. And I was just kind of hanging out with him, talking, and, and he was uh, you know, just talking about this struggle he has and wondering about that. And as he talked about those different struggles, it kind of struck me that like, well, if you believe what the Bible said, that would be clear to you. Oh, and that would be clear to you too. So I began to wonder, maybe this, this guy is kind of wrestling with the Bible. And so I, I just asked him flat out. I said, well, you know, tell me this. What is your view of the Word of God? Do, do you believe in the authority of God's Word? Do you believe this is the Word of God or not? And, and he said, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, that's something I'm really not sure about. I'm wrestling with that one. And I said, well, you know, that's, that's cool. I mean, it's not good, but I'm glad that you're honest and I respect the fact that that's where you're at in your spiritual journey. I said, but could you do me a favor, though? I said, please, please don't go into ministry until you have decided that this is the Word of God. You know, spare us, okay? And that's okay if you're struggling. That's all right. You can struggle. Maybe you're struggling. That's cool. I want this church to be a place where you can come and struggle through these beliefs. You don't just have to swallow some pill because the pastor says it. You know, let God speak to you. But don't go into ministry and teach other people until you have become convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is the Word of God. Because what a minister has to do, what anyone in ministry has to do above all else, is to point people to the law and to the testimony. We have to build our, our faith upon it. And so the Word of God becomes our, our guide. The Word of God becomes the way we know about God. Verse 20, To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this Word, they have no light of dawn. And so, really, the Bible becomes our gold standard for truth. The Bible becomes the way that, that we test truth claims. Our life is, is bombarded with messages, you know, not just TV and in advertising, but people and, and relationships. And people are constantly giving us advice. And, and the way we sift through it is by the Word of God. This is our sieve through which we, we kind of mine for gold in the river. A lot of water and a lot of mud passes through, and every once in a while you find gold nuggets. And we find that by sifting truth with the Word of God. It becomes how we know what, what truth is. It's an absolute, our absolute standard of truth. We measure all things against the Word of God. Um, so, you know, when your, your therapist tells you, Hey, look, you need to be happy. That's the most important thing. You, you've got to get happy. You have to seek your own happiness. And, you know, your spouse is, is really sort of in the way of that. And so, you know, whatever you have to do to be happy, that's what you need to do. You know, you've got to stop and say, to the law and to the testimony, what does God say about 
the purpose of my life and the way marriage is supposed to work. You know, what does God's Word say? And, and you know, when your friends at school, you know, are trying to convince you, I, I know it sounds uh, simple, but, you know, really, this is the stuff of life. When they're trying to against, convince you to drink, when they're con- trying to convince you to party and, and get high and get stoned and, and do this and take that, when your friends are, uh, when the person says, you know, hey, come on, we've been dating for a month, you know, why shouldn't we sleep together? Look how long we've been together. And, you know, there's all this pressure on you as a student. I mean, you have to go back and say to the law and to the testimony, even as a high school student, a junior high student, what does the Bible say about how we should live our lives and conduct ourselves? Uh, you know, another area where we need to test against God's Word, I think this is important, is in the area, and this is especially for us as Christians, the area of impressions and feelings. This is very important. That we as Christians uh, often talk this way. You know, I, I felt like God was leading me. I felt like God was saying this. I felt like God was telling me that. And, and I had this confirmation in my spirit, or I had this peace in my spirit, and I just feel this is what God is saying. I mean, I talk like that. We talk like that. And, and it's really important as, as Christians that we sift those things against the God's Word. Can God give impressions? Of course. Can God give me ideas and little nudges and feelings and directions? Yeah, of course. God is sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over my emotions and my desires and my ideas. So, so I fully believe that God prompts people and leads people and nudges people and shapes the desires of their heart to lead them in a certain way. But I also know that I have a lot of desires and thoughts and intuitions that come from other sources, uh, most of all from myself. And so I need to make sure that I always test impressions and feelings I have against the Word of God. And if something I'm feeling or thinking or suspecting is contrary to the Word of God, then I need to know that it's not from the Holy Spirit. It's not from the Holy Spirit. I remember uh, reading a story uh, in this book by D.A. Carson uh, called Showing the Spirit. It's a great book. Don Carson is a world-class New Testament scholar, just the just up at the top of the heap. He's so good. And he was telling a story about a time when he was riding in a car with a pastor and a pastor's wife. And, and it's a story about this struggle between what's the final word on truth, the word of God or my feelings and my impressions. And he was riding with his pastor in the car and the pastor was talking about a certain passage in the book of Matthew and how it meant this. And as the pastor was talking about it, Don Carson, you know, this New Testament scholar, was realized that this pastor was using a faulty translation and without getting into the, the nitty-gritty of it, he, he realized that the, the Greek Bible could not substantiate that interpretation. And he just realized it was, you know, totally wrong-headed. And so he tried to explain this to the pastor about how, yeah, you know, in Greek, though, it says this, and so there's actually no way it could mean that, and you're using a bad translation. And, and the pastor responded by saying, well, you know, God told me that this is the correct interpretation. You know, and Don Carson's like, okay. So I guess he was feeling mischievous because he said, well, you know, God told me that my interpretation was the correct interpretation. It's <laughs> just totally just trying to tweak the guy, see what he'd do. And, and the, the pastor was quiet for a minute. And then, then he said this. It's absolutely terrifying. But, but then the pastor said, well, I guess God's word means different things to different people. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is, you know, how is that any different from postmodernism? How is that any different from just meaninglessness? You know, it's like, you know, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? Okay, that's cool, that's fine. No, no, what did God say? And then now, can God's word have different applications to our lives? Yes, but, you know, God meant one thing when he spoke. 
And I understand that sometimes the Bible is difficult to, to translate and interpret, and it's difficult sometimes to understand. And there's some passages that scholars challenge each other over. But the point is, we've got to keep coming back to the Bible and challenging each other over those and wrestling with it, not just saying, well, if you think that's what God says, then that's true for you. And if I think that's what God says, that's true for me. Our impressions and feelings, the things we sense God saying to us in prayer, need to be subjected to the Word of God. I know this sounds funny, but prayer is secondary to the Bible in terms of knowing God's will. Our prayer lives are secondary to what God's Word says. And if I think I'm hearing something in prayer from God that is contradictory to the Word of God, I'm not hearing from God. Simple. And there have been a couple times in, in my experience in ministry when I have had Christians say to me these terrifying words. They say, I know that's what the Bible says, but I believe God is telling me to do this. And when people start talking like that, I'm like, wow, you've just gone over the edge. To the law and to the testimony, everything needs to be tested by the Word of God especially when we're in times of difficulty and crisis. It's just so easy in the midst of pain to get lost in all of the advice. We start grasping for straws and we need to come back to God's Word for our guidance. You know, one more thing you need to test, what the pastor says. You need to test what the pastor says by the Word of God. Big time. You need to feel... I'm giving you full permission to challenge anything I say in the pulpit from the Word of God. And, you know, sometimes people do it. They'll come to me after a service and they'll send me an email and they'll say, you know, I said that, you said that, Jeremy, and I, I knew what you were saying, but, you know, I wasn't sure because of this Bible passage over here. So I wondered if you maybe missed that or misinterpreted that or maybe just overemphasized that. And people will send me challenges from God's Word. And, you know, when people do that, you know how I feel? I feel encouraged because it lets me know that God's Word is on the pedestal and not a human being. People, I am not infallible. I'm just like the Pope. I'm not infallible. Okay? I am not infallible. There is no infallible human being on the face. There, there was one, but now he's in heaven at the Father's right hand. Jesus Christ was infallible. Nobody else is infallible. I am certain that I will say things in this... It's sad to say, but I know I will say incorrect things in this pulpit or that I will overemphasize things from time to time that are incorrect. And I need you, the body of Christ, to go, Jeremy... Mm, yeah, right, right. And, and I'll, I'll say, right, I, I know I'm going to make mistakes. And you know, you just get speaking, you get carried away, you say something stupid, I do it very easily. So I need to keep coming back and submitting to the Word of God. And you need to hold my feet to the fire, even as I get to stand up here in my bully pulpit and hold your feet to the fire. And we need to all hold our feet to, to the, fire, the purifying fire of God's Word to submit ourselves to what it says. And when we do that, when we start looking in the Bible when we start seeking from the Lord and His Word, something amazing starts to happen. Something amazing starts to happen. We get transformed from the inside out. God's Word is a living Word. And I want to make that clear too. That I'm not talking about a dry, intellectualized Christianity here. I think that, you know, I don't want you to hear that, that I'm just saying, you know, we should all be Bible trivia factoid geeks. No, no. We need to be transformed by God's Word. Not just be hearers and understanders of it, but doers of God's Word as well. And as we study God's Word, it's not just that we learn intellectual, theological truth, but He changes us. God's Word is living and active. You start reading the Bible, and the Bible starts reading you. And the Bible starts pointing things out and changing your heart. 
And so I keep going back to God's Word, not just to get information, but so that God can speak to me. One of the, the cool things I hear from newcomers to the church that encourages me as a pastor, and, and I hear it frequently enough that I think that it must be something to it, is people will come and they'll say, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, they've been here a couple months, I love this church, something's happening, I, I just I feel something here. It's like they can't even put it into words. They can't articulate it. They're like, but I feel something happening. You know, I, I go away every Sunday and there's something I'm thinking about or processing. You know, what, what's going on inside of me? You know, what is taking place in this church? And, and they try to figure it out and they come up with explanations. They say, well, maybe it's the music. You got this great upbeat music and I think the, maybe the music's encouraging me and lifting me up. It's not the music. You say, well, maybe it's that, that young pastor who waves his arms around a lot and paces everywhere. You know, you know, maybe he's just communicating in a way that I can understand. And I, I do hope that I'm communicating in a way you can understand. I, I work very hard to hone the, the spiritual gift of teaching and preaching to communicate God's Word clearly to you. But that's not it either. It's not the preacher. You know, why is it that Sunday after Sunday we go away with something in our hearts stirred, with our minds opened, with something taking place in us? What is it that's happening? What is doing this? Do you want to know what it is? It's this. It's the fact that we as a community are getting together every week and opening the Word of God and inquiring of the Lord, God, how do you want us to live our lives and how do you want us to seek eternal life? And as we have been studying God's Word week after week, little bit by little bit, God Himself is speaking to us and changing us. As we open the Bible every week, Jesus Christ Himself is among us. And He's teaching us and changing us into the people that He wants us to be. To the law and to the testimony. Amen. Praise team. to uh, come before the Lord's table, asking Him to draw close to us.
The Lord Jesus Christ is with us right now in this place. He's with us through His Word and through the power of His Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ is the host who invites us to come to His communion table. This is the Lord's table. It's not the Baptist table or the Catholic table or the Episcopal table. It's the Lord's table. Jesus Christ Himself is the host. And so anyone who knows Christ as their Lord and Savior and who loves Jesus is welcome at this table uh, right now. This is the table where we celebrate the central act of all human history, the sacrifice of Jesus for us on the cross, as we uh, remember His body which was broken for us through the bread, and as we remember His blood that was shed for us through this cup, we're celebrating the fact that Jesus died for us. And as we partake of this, it's, it's like God's Word. God, through His Spirit, in a mysterious way, strengthens and builds up His body. This is a remembrance, it's a symbol, but it's more than that. Christ is, is here with us in a unique way through the, the Lord's table. And so we as believers come to eat and drink with Christ. We come to be with Him. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I just want you to know Christ is here. Christ is real. Christ died for us. And whatever you have on your shoulders, you can bring to Christ. If you have sin in your life and you've never given your life to Jesus for sure and you want to become a Christian, this is a great time. Come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to put my full faith in You as my Savior. Do you know for certain Christ is your Savior? Come to Him now and believe in Him as we fellowship with Jesus Himself here at the table. And so, Lord Jesus, we just want to acknowledge You, tell You how much we love You, tell You that we're so thankful that You're here with us. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You died for us on the cross. And now, Lord Jesus, as we enter into this communion service, we just pray, speak to us. We want to hear from You. We want to be strengthened spiritually and nourished spiritually by You. We pray this in Your name. Amen. Can I have the elders come and join me at the communion table? As we remember what Jesus did for us on the night before going to the cross, He was eating the Passover Seder with His disciples and He took some of the matzah, some of the unleavened bread that's eaten during the Passover Seder, and He gave it a new symbolic meaning. He broke it and He said, This is My body which is broken for you. And uh, could I ask Tim Ells to give thanks for the broken body of Christ? Let's pray. Sovereign God, we take great comfort in your word that instructs us on how to live, how to trust in you. But Lord, our great comfort is the uh, gift of your son who uh, died on the cross for us so that we can come into your presence. Lord, we're grateful for that sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As the elders distribute these elements, I would just encourage you to spend this time in prayer. Maybe there's some burden you need to put at the cross. Maybe there's some sin in your life you need to confess. Maybe there's uh, some area in your life you need to get right with Jesus and you need to come to the cross again seeking His forgiveness and grace. Spend this time with Christ in prayer.
Every one of us is a broken person. Our lives are broken by sin and selfishness and evil. We deserve to be broken and thrown into the eternal scrap pile of hell. But Jesus was broken so that we could be made whole. Let us eat together. And we remember the night before Jesus went to the cross, He took a cup of wine and He gave it a new symbolic meaning. He said, This cup is the new covenant in My blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Could the elders join us again? And Rick Coughlin, would you give thanks for the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Holy God, Creator and Sustainer of, of all, we thank You so much that uh, You deem to, to give Yourself up for us by Your blood, Father. You poured out for us. have enabled us to be able to crawl into Your lap, call You Dad, and bring our concerns to You. Father, we ask that You would be glorified in this place. Be glorified, Lord. Help us to glorify your name. Thank you so much for the blood of Christ. It gives us the ability to be able to come before your throne and ask these things. Amen. All of us have poured our lives out for idols. We have worshipped false gods. We have strayed from the Lord. And all of us deserve to be scooped up and poured into hell. But instead, Jesus' blood was poured out for our forgiveness. And so because of Him, we can stand in the presence of God, holy and pure. Would you stand now? And let us stand before our God. And let us in faith drink together. After the service, Kevin and Lori Aker are here, part of our prayer team. Come on over here, Kevin and Lori. I'm going to be here after the service. I would love to just pray with anyone about anything going on in your life, big or small. Make sure after the service you come up and say hi to David Botello and just hear about his ministry. And uh, David, would, would you mind uh, praying uh, to, as a benediction to close the service? Would you come and pray for us? Put you on the spot. Just pray God's blessing on us as we leave. I missed, a great, I missed a great opportunity to say thank you for sending missionaries to Brazil, Latin America. And now I have this opportunity. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to have communion together. Thank you for sending Jesus to the cross to restore the image of you in us for your glory. Thank you for the privilege to share with one another and the privilege to go to other places and to share your love with those that are neglected. Father, thank you for this church and bless them in such a way that they will be astonished. Thank you for the message that is still alive today. Father, bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you.